Welcome to the Tans Ride podcast with me, Simon Mackrath. My guest today is former Kent Valley road racer and helicopter pilot, Chris Barron. Good evening, young man. Uh, evening, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good man. Looks like you've brought the weather with you. <clears throat> yeah, it's glorious down here. We're on the uh, on the Riviera. Fantastic. We've been um, getting uh, a little bit of snow up here. I'm on, yeah, well, we're down on the Lakeland Riviera here. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always about five degrees warmer than Kendall. Everywhere. How, how do you change the background? Because this this kind of background, it's kind of losing its novelty now. Um, good question. I don't even know how you got it up there in the first place. You need to ask your last week's guest. He sounded a quite a. Oh, he's into his a technological uh, guy. I think that's the generation that these guys. It is, isn't it? Um, and it's, it's it's. I don't know if it, I wanted to use the word refreshing, but it's not. It's. I think they lose a little bit of feel. I'll, I'll go back to some of the guys that we rode with in the past. Um, I look at the likes of likes of Stefan Wilson, and it was a novelty if you had a heart rate monitor, let alone power meters. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, I, 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 so I admit I've used a power meter for the first time this year, and you can become a slave to the numbers. Um, it just make room for improvement, but. I don't know. Um, well, you tell me. To, tell me about your experiences. You've raced on the continent. Um, what was the most kind of innovative piece of equipment that you used over there? We didn't really do innovative back then, did we? It, it was. I, I, I read. We didn't great, really do innovative, did we? No, I, I, I read uh, um, great, Graham Aubrey's training manual, and he's right on feel. And I've always said, and, and maybe it's easier for time trialers to use it, uh, the numbers. But if you're in a road race and somebody goes whizzing up the outside of you, you don't look at everybody's, well, I'm on maximum heart rate here, mate, and I'm pushing out the numbers. I can't go after him. You don't even think about it. You just go. Um, and if you can't go, then you get spat out the back. But maybe that's um, old school. No, it's... Um... It's very much a numbers game, isn't it? You're, um, very I was fascinated so. by your guest last week because I don't think he was particularly, as his generation goes, I don't think he was particularly obsessed with, he wasn't a, a really techie guy, was he? But it was all about, it was all about the numbers and it was really, it was really good to listen to. I, I learned um, something actually. He, he was saying he, he, he was prepared to ride at three and a half watts per kilo. I'm thinking you, you obviously know how to work it out and you can go for that long. Um, now, I've done an FTP test and it was I kind of made a nonsense of it this year. Um, it's like, hold on, I can go hard for 20 minutes and that gives me an FTP re reading. But I tell you what, I can go even harder for an hour. Mm. But maybe that's just, you know, uh, like I say... A certain man from the Wirral started all this. Well, the professor. Yeah, I remember when uh, one of the first times I ever saw him in the early 90s, he had a guy following him around with a clipboard. And I think that clipboard had a few numbers on it. <laughs> Just a and few. I think that was the start of it. 
it took I, a long I, time for everyone to cotton on, didn't it? Yes, I remember it. Um, I've seen the uh, Battle of the Bikes, the DVD, him and Aubrey. Um, and I've always been a fan of both riders. Um, mm. What we would give for that kind of caliber of rider in this day and age, given all the technological advances that have under, been undertaken. But then I think, I don't know what he had in, in his disposal. And I know he used some of the electronic gear shifting and he was all for experimenting. I think the most technical thing he had was a heart rate monitor. Um, yeah, but that, that was technological back then. Yes, yes. You know, you look at it now as a very archaic piece of, you know, a piece of, a piece of technology that gets torn to bits, don't you? Torn to bits for its fallibility and its failings. Well, is it, I, I know riders now that laugh at you if you said you've ridden on heart rate and you still do. It's like, well, it's irrelevant. Your heart rate's mm. irrelevant. It's your power numbers that you need to be looking yeah, yeah. at. Um, but no, it, it's, it's a sign of the times, you know. Mm. Um, sometimes it's just nice to go out for a bike ride and uh, not stare at your screen looking at numbers. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that throws into the cauldron and into the hats the whole thing of turbo trainers. Um, I used to be only able to manage 20 minutes because I'd go brain dead. Now I can do an hour because I'm just staring yeah. at numbers. Um, and yeah, I suppose you can get numbers fixated. Um, but I think it takes it away a little bit, isn't it? So, mm. Are you getting much time to ride at the moment then? The start of something, I think. Ooh. I can just feel the start of something, Simon. That's always a good feeling. Yeah. And you know that feeling when you get at the start of something, right right at the start, where you're so rubbish to begin with, but the improvements are massively tangible every single ride you go out. Yes. And I guess that kind of I guess that kind of acts as a motivation, doesn't it? It's exciting. Yeah, it is exciting, yeah. Uh, yeah. How many years is it now since yeah. your last race? Say again. How many years is it now since you last raced? I think the last time I pinned a number on was the 2006 national road race championships which was in in beverly that year uh -huh. it was the year when hamish haynes was very maligned for the way he won but he um he won like an underdog he won brilliantly and that was the last i think that was the, i um i got to the second feed and just called it a day the um you know, the gulf in ability between where I was and where I needed to be was just very, very, very starkly visible that day. Yes. And I called it a day at the second feed. And that was, I think, June, June 2005, 2006-ish. Hmm. Um, and that was the last time I, I pinned a number on. I've been a, um, a slave to business since. Yes. But, um, but all work and no play. You know all work and no play. Yes. And I feel like I'm in a, a completely different body now. Yeah. But, well, yeah, that's it. yeah I... getting, getting out a bit, Simon. Good. Good man. Good man. And it's the, it's the beginning. It could be the beginnings of something. I like the sound of that. Oh. I do like the sound of that. Yeah. Um, so let's tell me about your Kent Valley Road Club days. Because um, I'm just looking through the history books here and, and the current... Wow, you've got history books. Are we? Are we? Are we started now? Or are you just? Are you, are you oh, just editing? Or? No, it's recording, but I can it's edit. It's just it. a chat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So I'm looking at some of the club riders in the past um, and I kind of hanker for those halcyon days, if that makes sense, where you'd, uh, you'd rock up and you'd be rubbing shoulders. And I'm looking at the likes of Steph Wilson. Who, yeah, national, national junior uh, champion. National, I looked at who he beat on the day. Um, go on, go on, give me some names. Cav, beat Cav oh. and Thomas on the day. You're kidding. No, and I'm thinking, does he ever regret hanging his wheels up when he sees, you know, where these riders went? Um, because there's no doubt, you've got to be a class act. They don't give these jerseys away for free. Um, and you're just thinking, Steph. But apparently he hated it. He really did not like riding. And you've got to like it. You've got to be that sadistic individual mm. that can go out in all weathers and put himself through the mangle. Um, mm. And he hated it, apparently. Um, right. So, yeah, you've got, to, you've got to love it, haven't you? But he was just that good, eh? On the day. Mm. You and I both know on the day. If, you, if you're having one of those days, you put yourself against anybody. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, which yeah. leads me to your, you know, the most impressive ride, and I'm not trying to blow smoke up your backside here by any stretch of the imagination, but the Ulverston Charter. What year was that that you rode off? Oh, um, 2001. No, I think it was a bit later than that. I think was it, it was. Was it 02? Could have been 02. It was kind of. It was the kind of the peak of the Lance years, I think. Oh, so man. it was kind of 01, 02, 03. Yeah, I was down um, to ride that day, and I'm glad I never, because I think I'd have ripped myself a new one trying to get onto your wheel. But yeah, you, uh, oh, 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 two-ish, yeah, oh, two-ish. Let me give anybody that's listening a brief idea of what it was. It was Alston Charter um, road race, and it must have been over what 60, 70 miles. About about sixty five, I think. Yes, I think it was yes. a one, two, three, wasn't it? Yes, yes. I think um, it was a one, a, a first, second, and third cat race. Yeah. And you'd have been riding as a second cat then, yeah. I th- yeah yeah I think yeah, so yeah and you you rode off the front and nobody nobody got onto your wheel so I want to know the provenance of this ride because you know at our level of riding you know half decent second cats at the time you don't just ride away from kind of first cat riders so what had, what had you been up to uh, it's hard to explain really I, w- I wish there was some some you know big guilty secret that I could get off my chest and say oh I was <laughs> you know, I was on something really, really special that day. Some Belgian but No, mix. I wasn't. I was yeah. just on. I was just on. Um, you know, a bottle of water and, and a couple of bananas. Yeah. Uncle um, Willie had been round with his I, Belgium envelope. Yeah, no, no. And <laughs> I guess, I guess, I, I guess it's all about ability, isn't it? And I, I kind of, from from the racing that I'd done, I kind of figured that, given the engine and given the ability that I'd got. If I could get my hands in the air in a one, two, three race in the north of England, it was probably as good as it was ever going to get for me. Uh-huh. Um, so I thought, I, I took one look at it and I, I always go really well in September. I don't know if it's something to do with pollen, allergy, asthma or whatever, but I always go really, really well in the autumn. Um, so I, I, earlier on in the year, I just said I'd, I'd like to win this race. I just looked at it in the calendar and I thought that ticks all the boxes. It's long, it's hard, it's hilly. Um, so I took myself off to the Pyrenees, as you do. I'm a very obsessive, compulsive person. I think you have um, to be if you're going to be a cyclist. Yeah. You've got to have that trait. It, I think, yes. I think okay. you do, don't you? Yes, absolutely. 
because um, let's go back to when we were riding. It's you're a bit of an oddball if you're racing bikes. You you, you weren't. Shall we? I think they call them mammals nowadays. Middle-aged men in lycra, and it's like yeah. I hate that phrase. And it's like just just enjoy the sport. But when we were riding, I know I went to a secondary modern school, and there must have been maybe three of us in the whole school of seven hundred that raced bikes. And you think it was. It wasn't the, the norm. The first, the first experiences of a bike I had were, um, I was lucky enough to go to a public school and you weren't allowed your bike there. And of course, biking is the ultimate form of escapism. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, this can't be right. So if, if things aren't right, you challenge them, don't you? Yes. So I found a loophole. And the only way that I could ride my bike was when I was 14, I signed up to do the Duke of Edinburgh's awards scheme in bicycle maintenance. And what that did was it enabled me to have a bike on the campus. It didn't allow me to ride it, but it allowed me to have a bike on the campus. And so I thought, well, I've somehow got to get that bike from the campus to the D of E engineering department where we did, you know, where, um, where the department was based. I thought, well, I'm gonna have to ride it there, aren't I? So I kind of got dressed up, put a helmet on, put glasses on. And I'd go out for a two-hour ride. I just happened to be doing a two-hour loop riding from the place my bike was stored to the, the cycle maintenance place. Um, and that was as a 14-year-old at Sedba School. Um, and that started a little bit of a change, a change of heart in the school. And since then, Sedba School have encouraged and, and allowed people to ride bikes. And you're right, I was the only one back then who rode a bike. Um, and it was seen as a little bit little bit different a little bit oddball but you know it was escapism it's every boy's dream isn't it to escape so what was your catalyst i, I know what my catalyst was what was your catalyst that well, go on. What, was you yours, what, what was yours first it was the introduction to eddie Merckx by an old chap called jack marsden who's still with us and mm. they used to go over to france in their vw camper van mm. and i'll never forget it orange and white and he lived just up the road um, i was best mates with his son um and they were, the registration, I'll never forget that, SJM. It happened to be his initials back in the day, and it wasn't personalised number plates. But they would travel over to France every year to watch the Tour de France. And it was just something. He, had them, he, he didn't look dissimilar to Eddie Merckx. Mm. And it was, it was the romance of everything that was cycling. There was no helmets back then, but it was a cap. And it was the whole kind of tanned legs. Tanned, and it was a, a sport that, just fascinated me. I caught a little bit on the, the old Dickie Davis world of sport. And it was like, hold on, at the age, I must have been 10. I just thought, this is the sport for me. And I was half yeah. decent at other sports. But cycling was the one, I think you hit it, the nail right on the head there when you said escapism. I, we're, I all, we're all escaping from something, aren't we? I, I just know how good it is for me personally. Um, and I know Max referred to anxiety and what have you. And, you know, I'm not going to kind of lie to anybody here. I've suffered with a little bit of anxiety myself. But going out and riding your bike, it's like, hold on, I can take on the world now. Um, and I need to have that kind of fix, for want of a better phrase. Um, mm. And I think it, it gets you like that. It's that kind of sport. And maybe that's what a lot of these middle-aged guys are experiencing. 
um, they realise that it's not an easy sport by any stretch of the imagination. I'm sure you get a lot of guys dropping out, but um, it's good for you. It's good for you. It's been there a long time, though. It's been around a long time, and it's always fascinated me that it's never really emerged into the mainstream. I just think it was the legislation, and and you know this is this is no slate to any cycle club, but it was always a bit of a kind of a hard. It's almost like a, a gentleman's club to get into um, mm. if you didn't know the right people, um, and you coming into a sport, and you know with the advent of it being more popular, there's a lot more cycle clubs popping up. You know, you know what it's like around here. We've got more clubs, and the membership is going through the roof. But as far as racing cyclists are concerned, it's on the kind of on the wane. I, I, I've yeah. been done to a couple of time trials recently, um, and there's been more marshals than riders. And you're thinking, hold on, we're supposed to be now a pomp as a sport, um, with the exception of two clubs. I think it is locally. I think Barrow Central Wheelers membership and racing members, and Beacon Wheelers up in Penrith. Mm. Um, everybody else's numbers seem to be on the wane. Um, and I don't know what that is. Um, certainly, I, I, I would love to invite anybody down. Come down, ride a time trial. Do a 10-mile mm. time trial. Ultimately, you're racing against yourself. Come, come for the social side of things, but make mm. it more accessible to people. Um, but and I don't have that kind of um, clout, I don't think. Um, to attract people to racing, maybe that'll change. You know, as as my early days, Simon. Yeah, maybe you know. I'm, early days. My I've still got a few more racing years, I think. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, still we'll early see. days. It's, no, yeah. the catalyst for me, Simon, was the very very earliest I can remember was, you know, a, again escapism and one upmanship. I in the summer of when would it be? Eight, I think summer of 88, I, uh, the school that I was at run, ran a series of um, summer, summer school events. They were, they were um, you know, tutorials in the summer to get you ready for, for your exams. And all the other kids arrived in cars, you know, with the parents. Um, but I cycled across. Um, and the reason I cycled across was to touch on what you said before, um, I remember seeing little glimpses on the TV of the 88 Tour de France, little glimpses. Cause back then it wasn't, it wasn't really covered, but it was, you know, 10 minutes here and 10 minutes there. And, and it was the, you know, it was the, it was the color and the vibrancy and the culture. It just offered everything. And, you know, it was the, the, the images were very powerful back then because like, like you alluded to before, nobody wore helmets. So you could see right into the riders. Yes. You know, and, and yes. I think the image of, of Gert Turnis riding off the Quad Affair on a sunny day with the hair flowing off the back of his back. <laughs> None on the front. <laughs> if someone can tell me a more evocative image of escapism than that, well, that's it. And, you know, I, I, I was riding to school that day thinking I was Gert Turnis. And... Do you think I, we still you know, get those I, I characters? Get, I was getting to school under my own steam. Do you think and that we was still independent? Get those characters then? Do you think you still get those characters in the peloton now? Look at the likes of Fignon, Laurent Fignon, and th that look—that was an evocative look. You, you know, the professor glasses and the long, flowing blonde hair. Um, well, you will. 
Go on. You were looking at an individual, weren't you? You were looking into someone's soul. You know, you weren't looking into the rider with an earpiece in his ear that was receiving instructions from a DS in a car. You were looking into that rider's soul, you know, the emptiness that you could see in them. Mm -hmm. And you don't get you do, you don't get that now. Um, I would mean, you, you did then? at the end. You, would, you know, you, you saw into you, you saw into Roglic at the end of the tour. Yes, yes. But when else? When else do you see into someone's soul? No, like that. But you did back. You did back then. Would, and would I think that insp that inspired a generation. Would you have earpieces banned from the professional sport? from the sport in general because like i say you, you can have a rider and he's getting all the information he needs um from his ds in the car um or the other team can be saying right we need to chase it down boys um we need to start riding um and i know you know i'm not a technophobe but i just think it would enhance the whole experience and you'd see people on the ragged edge a bit more um well, if not only that, but, you know, the, the rider's biological figures are getting fed back to the car as well. It's a two-way thing, remember. You know, the, the DSs are looking at power outputs and heart rates and all sorts. And I guess I'm not really, I'm not really sufficiently qualified to, you know, to offer a valid opinion on that. But may, maybe it's rose-tinted spectacles, but things were a lot more evocative back then. They really were. And, no, I'd, I'd agree. You know, maybe that's, that's one thing. So where is so it? I've you... dodged that question, haven't I? Well, you should be in politics, mate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Watch so, this space, Simon. Yeah. So when you were racing in Belgium, who did you go over there with? Did you go on your own or did you... I know you're very good friends with some very influential people over there of, at the time. Um, so It was... Again, it was a, it was a spur-of-the-moment thing. I went out with um, a guy called Tom Barris who is the son of one Sid. of the most decorated yes. English yes. riders of all time. Yes. Um, proper hard man. Proper hard man. A proper hard man. Yeah, check out the 1987 Kellogg's Tour of Britain over Fleet Moss. That was Tom's dad, Sid. Yes. Um, so Tom was out there. Um, and I actually went out with a guy called Matthew Brindle, who um, subsequently went to work, who went on to work for me for ages. Um, and he was the catalyst for it. He actually took me out there. Um, um, we just lived in a house in Brussels, um, but the house, I didn't really know this when we went out, but the house was actually owned by an English cyclist called Roger Hammond, who was kind of the last of the old school, really the last of the riders to go across the ferry with 10 quid in his pocket and make his way. Um, and it was 2000 and it was the, it was three months in 2005 when we we're out there. Um, and Roger had just podium. He just podiumed in Paris Roubaix the year before, um, and got a top. I think I think he was eleventh in the Olympics that year, in the Olympic road race. I'm right, in, thinking he he came from a CX background, didn't he, Roger? Yeah, he was he was national junior cross champion in '91, I think, at Leeds Round Hay Park. No, not national. He was the world champion. He was the world champion. Yeah. the world junior champion. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that. he came from a cross background, and you know that's why he just glided across the it glided across the cobbles his wheels didn't touch those cobbles well the only rider at the moment yeah that i would compare to roger would be young pidcock at the moment um who seems to have that ability he can glide i've seen him have a bike on sideways coming around the corner and just power out of it and you're thinking yeah. wow his bike handling skills are second to none um 
But that's the only yeah. rider at the moment that I can put in the same kind of context as Roger Hammond. There's not many, are there? No. So we happen to be living in a house with Roger, and um, I, I, I'm a really starstruck individual, as it is. I get very, very starstruck. You know, being, being here tonight on this podcast is starstruck. <laughs> um, and it was, it was just a very seminal, iconic time. Um, you know, is, is there another sport where you can knock about with a, with, with, with a hero? You know, I, is there another sport where you could ride up the canal? We could ride up the canal to Leuven and have a coffee. Very I don't think there is another sport you can do that, is there? No, I, I would, it's not a sport for egos. You soon get put no. in your place. Um, no. and, and it takes me back to the days that we were riding and when we first started riding. And you go out with a traditional Sunday club ride, 9.30 in the car park, and the old boys would tell you to stop half-wheeling. And you'd look at him thinking, what are you on about? Um, and he'd say, well, come back next week and I'll tell you. And it's the whole etiquette of learning to ride um, and all the things that go with it. And I think a lot of riders are missing that. That, that It's almost like a, a, a schooling, you know, with the advent of Strava, all the fast boys want to go out and smash segments on Strava. You think, well, actually pass on your knowledge and educate some of the other members in your club how to ride a bike. And lo and behold, you might find that, you know, you've got a better understanding of what everybody's experiencing. Because I have no qualms going out with somebody who's never ridden on a bike before, you know, um, I just enjoy riding with people. Um, when you say lack of schooling, though, there isn't a school, is there? There is no education now for the riders. Well, this is just it. Everybody's there looking is, at There themselves. is no education. There is, there isn't. It's not like the education standards have declined. There isn't one. You know, in, in, in our day, dare I say, and I am, I am only 45, but in our day, there was the club structure. Mm -hmm. And we all remember going out and getting, you know, I, I can remember doing rides and getting you know, a real hard schooling off the more established riders. And those, those, those qualities never leave you. No, um, it's still being good stead. I have to be honest with you. And, you know, um, yeah, maybe it is rose tinted glasses. Maybe it, I just feel it was better in our day. Um, or it was the more, maybe the romance of the sport. Uh, yeah. But I, you know, if, you know, I, um, I have, a fr I have a friend that I ride with that ticks a lot of those boxes. Um, and there is a real eagerness and a real keenness to learn. You know, they'll, 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 they're desperate to ride with you and say, look, I know, I know you ride 10 kilometers slower than I do because, boy, they're fit, by the way. Some of these young these guys are fit. These new guys are fit. They've come from other sports and yeah. they have that kind of cardiovascular fitness. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm going out with one or two at the moment. Um, and they keep you on your toes. Uh, Absolutely. And with, you know, one or two of them, if they put their minds to it, they could do a couple of good races. Yeah, um, yeah, they could do a bit, couldn't they? Um, which, you know, <laughs> takes us back to the likes of Stephen Wilson. There's a name I haven't named here currently, James Knox. He's a local lad. He's a Kent Valley member. The first Cumbrian to ride a Grand Tour. To to get a top 10 finish in the Simon, how have we got to, how have we got to this point? You know, cast, cast your mind back to the mid nineties. You'd left school and you were watching Miguel Inderine and Evgeny Berzin and Pavel Tonkov in the Giro. 
Big names. Iconic yeah. names. Iconic names, global sport. Yeah. This year, you've had a lad from Milnthorpe, <laughs> yeah. right? Who, if you send him a text message, he'll text you back and say, yeah, I'm all right. All right, life's fine. Yeah. Who shepherded the Maglia Rosa for 19 days out of 21. He's a bloody lad from Milnthorpe. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. And rumour has it that his brother, Johnny, was a better rider. Wouldn't, su wouldn't surprise me. I think it's fantastic. Um, I have spoken to his dad on a couple of occasions and it was the time he was in the Wiggins team yeah. and there were no guarantees and everybody assumes, oh, he's on Team Wiggins, it's a shoe into Team Sky and then the coining quick step stepped in and you're thinking, wow, this guy is going to get so much schooling and some of the people he's roomed with, you're thinking, people will give the right arm. This is a, remember, just, Let's just go back a bit. This is a lad from Milnthorpe. This is a guy that rides the Kent Valley Christmas 10. This is a guy that's a life member of the club. You know, this is a guy that every night after the Giro was out, every, every, after every stage, he gave us a little update on our club Facebook page. This is, this is real and this is happening. It's just fantastic. You know, how have we got from Miguel Inderain to James, to James Knox? It's, it's something I would really like to sit down with Angus, his dad, and saying at what point did the penny drop that you I, I, I think right I think right now is an invitation to ask, to ask James and Angus to sit down. I, I've I've got the thumbs I think up from this Angus. Is doable, Simon. I, I, I think Angus, this is doable. Angus will do it. Um but I want to get in a studio rather than doing it over Zoom. Absolutely. Um and hopefully, fingers crossed, if Angus will agree, uh, he can drag James along. Um yeah. which would be very good. Um, you know what? One of the things cycling teaches you, Simon, is that goals should be achievable. And you touched on a race when I had earlier on in, in, in my career that was, I picked it out because it was achievable. You know, I knew I had a ceiling to my ability. Now, get James and Angus on. It's doable, Simon. It's doable. I, I think we're 50% there because Angus has agreed. So yeah. um, we'll, we'll get James along and maybe even Johnny. It'd be nice to get Johnny's take on, you know, yeah. what, you know. Why he didn't, and there's a couple of other good promising riders around here. You look at young Ben Granger. He, he's doing well at the moment. And he's, thinking, he's doing the numbers, isn't he? He is. Above, there you go, you see. Back to the numbers, the numbers. thing. We're back to numbers, aren't we? At what point, if he wants to become a successful rider, and I'll, I'll judge success by you know become, getting on a pro team, does he have mm. to turn around and say, right, I need to be looking at going abroad? Uh, or do I, can I get on a domestic team? Um, because, you know, not getting any younger. Absolutely. Um, but but this, this is the effect that young James Knox has on these young lads. Because, you know, they all go out riding together and they see that this is achievable. Like you said yeah. before, this is achievable. It's if doable. A lad from Milnthorpe can do it. It's like, well, hold on, I can. Um, and there's lots of good young riders around here. Yeah. Um, and don't forget, a guy from Preston, a guy who I listened to a podcast a, a couple of months ago talking about butter pies from Wigan, has just won the Queen stage of the Vuelta Espana and finished on the podium. That was a cracking ride. And that. that's a guy from Preston. Hugh? Yeah. That was a what cracking a ride. That was absolute. I have to say, I think we've had a good year. We've had a good year. Um, mm. So... 
I'm just looking through so my notes here. I do, I do. Doable, isn't it, Simon? It is doable. Not for me anymore. It's like I think I'll be drawing no, my pension but... in a few years. Mm. Um, helicopter license. How did that come about? Oh my God! Have you been doing your research? Oh, did. I'm only an amateur sleuth, but uh... <laughs> again, it's escapism, isn't it? Yeah, but I, I see the references that you, you guys are really into your kind of Magnum PI, and it's like yeah. it makes me chuckle. It's, it's escapism, isn't it? I always um, the, the 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 helicopter journey started very very randomly, um, and again, it goes back to early two thousands. Um, I'm lucky enough to be involved in a family business that has holiday parks. Um, I say lucky because now's the time to plug. Let's let's have the name of it then. Bigland Hall Caravan Park. So anybody that might be listening to this fancies a holiday up in the Lake District. You're situated between Kendall and Ulverston, Haverthwaite. Yeah, we're, we're in a lovely, a lovely part of the world. Um, very easy to get to, but very near to Windermere, Cartmel, Grange. And we are, a, we are an old-fashioned holiday park. Um, by old-fashioned, I mean we have very old-fashioned values. We're very old school. Um, no running water, no electricity. It's all hand. Oh God, it was like that when we came. When, when, I, when I came here, it was like that. But um, since I hung my number up at the 2006 Nationals, um, I got home and I've basically been on a digger for 20 years developing the place. Um, and now with a, with a very, un, well, some would say unfortunate, but a very, a very fortunate set of circumstances with the COVID pandemic um, and lots of other factors, things have, have finally come good. But cycling gives you that. It gives you stickability. Um, so that's the business. Um, but yeah, back in 2004, a, a customer flew up to view a home. Um, a very down-to-earth customer, actually, just because just because folk fly around in helicopters, it doesn't it doesn't mean they're posh or got an angle to them. Um, and this delightful young lady, absolutely delightful young lady, um, flew up flew up and, and landed at the park. And again, it was, you know, we're harking back to the 88 Tour de France, that, 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 that image and that escapism. And this helicopter just landing was just so far removed from my normal circle of friends and life. I just had to do it. Um, and I, I, I'm glad to say I maintain my license to this day. Um, you know, and it's a, it's, it's a point of pride that I maintain the licenses. Um, don't fly as often as I'd like to. I've done, I've done a bit this year, but um, yeah, it's, it's again, it's, it's escapism and never for a moment take it for granted and never for a moment don't realise just how much of a complete privilege it is. Um, You've worked very hard to get there. And it really like, is. Let's not, let's not get get kind of lost in anything here. You've worked very, very hard to get where it's you are. It's been a long, it's been a long Exactly. Um, and like I say, we'll talk about it. Your racing got put on the back burner purely because you started running the business. So yeah, you've worked very yeah. hard. Um, yeah. Yeah. I drove back from Hull, unpinned my number, thought it's been a great ride of cycling, but I've kind of reached the ceiling of what, what I feel I can do and let's do something else. And, there's lots of things I'd have done differently, but these were all these were all decisions that I made at the time, so you, you can't regret them, can you? No, no, no. I, I, I left the sport for 10 years, and I can hand on heart say I didn't touch a bike for 10 years. Did you really? Yeah, and it never leaves you. 
Um, and it's, it's funny, my wife said to me, Simon, I think it's time you got back on your bike. And I just looked at her and said, what makes you say that? So every time the Tour de France is on, a copy of Cycling Weekly turns up on the coffee table and you are glued to that television. I said, well, you know what will happen, don't you, if I start riding my bike again? I want to race. Mm. And she said, and what's wrong with that? And I'm thinking, yes, what is wrong with that? And you realise, I, I, I was going to say I fell out of love with the sport. I didn't fall out of love with it. I just became a little bit disillusioned with some of the people in it. Mm. Um, and I came back to it, um, which brings me on to a very contentious subject, the one of Mr. Armstrong. I know where I stand, and I think we're talking about him because he's done so much for cycling. And it really does boil my urine, the mm. fact that people prepared to slate him. The pro problem is they're probably riding a bike because of this man. I don't agree with some of the things he did and some of the casualties that might have been. But to bring cycling into the front room out of a lot of people that ride bikes now, don't forget who did that to you. We're the landscape would be completely different, wouldn't it, without him? I think in this country, we'd still be catching up. Mm. And we might not, I'm not saying this, that it's a fact, but we might not have had a Grand Tour or three Grand Tour winners from this country if it hadn't been for him. I don't think Team Sky would have come to existence because they are, for want of a better phrase, a carbon copy of the US postal setup. Absolutely. Um, they wouldn't have existed, Simon, because there wouldn't have been a 10 million euro budget if it wasn't for Lance Armstrong. No. Um, it, would, it would have been a 2 million euro budget, wouldn't it? Um, and and, and, and I, I know we're on social media and we're part of a group and the guy's been getting a lot of stick for kind of commenting on Lance and what have you. And you're thinking, the history of the sport is littered with casualties, we'll call them. Mm. And... I'm not saying it's been eradicated, but that is part and parcel of the sport. And you know what? We're a sport for identifying it. I know it goes on in every other sport, certainly a lot of sports that I've been encountered with. And it happens on amateur level sport in other sports. It just so happens that cycling identifies it and is open about it and it has a kind of a bit of a dirty history. Um, but like I say, I, I look through the record books and I just I find it a bit sad when they're not prepared to to register seven grand tours that Lance won. Thinking, well, I think to put it in context, I think if you look at the results from two thousand four, I, I can't remember the rider because I've not I've not done my homework prior to this. But I think the first rider in that race not implicated in any sort of doping scandal, I think, was placed eleventh. Mm. You know, but so that's not to say that he was clean either. Absolutely, um, it just means he wasn't implicated in any sort of exactly, scandal. Exactly, exactly. Um, it's just, you know, unfortunately, that's the way it's going to be. But you know, I'm not here singing Lance's praises. I just think we need to understand that there's a lot of Grand Tour winners that will be stripped of their titles if you know the truth were to come out. Um, yeah. And I know what he, well, I, I must admit, I, I modeled my riding on him um, 
Chris Carmichael, his coach. I got his training manual. I worked to that. I spent all winter working on my cadence, tried to change my style completely, and it paid dividends. Mm. Um, short of the uh, the chemical uh, assistance that Mr. Armstrong might have uh, experienced. Um, I, did, I did, to... did you get the iconic Trek bike? Because I certainly did. I oh, had three yes. of those. Yeah, it's, it's a given, isn't it? Um, I didn't want an excuse. I think it was, it's always easy if you, if you get beaten to say, ah, oh, he's got a better bike than, hang on. I, I, wanted, I didn't want an excuse. Uh, if I was riding the same bike as US Postal at the time, it was off the peg bike. It was achievable. Mm. Um, I had no excuses. And then there was the iconic day that Lance rode up to Sestriere and a pair of wheels. I'm looking, what on earth are those? Mavic Cassirians. Uh, an aluminium spoke wheel, and everybody's going, what on earth are those? Everybody went up. Everybody had a pair. I owned a pair. I, I guess you did. I owned a pair. I yeah, think I owned I, three in the end. I think I, within a fortnight, I'd gone out. But, but they were bomb-proof as well, weren't they? I've, mine are still in the shed. They're still yeah, there. Yeah, they're fun. Yeah. Um, the only thing that's changed is um, the bearings. I think I've changed the bearings on them. But like, to, yeah, well, they're beaten out. Do, do you remember the bearings old? in them? They, they were a sealed cassette that you just popped out and you put a yeah. new set in. This is it. There was no cup and cones. Um, I mean, do you, do you, you, you know, you'll, you'll remember at your mum's house when you were 15, you'd just be cleaning your bearings out. Your mum would shout you for your tea. You'd take your hand off the wheel and you'd have bearings all over the garage. All over the place. And then, yeah, um, yeah. lithium grease. Oh, yeah. wasn't it horrible? Lithium, oh. And then they made, and, you know, and the Cassiriums came along with these popping cartridges. It, life, life was good, wasn't it? It was, uh, it was a game changer, a game mm. changer. Um, well, it, it, no. I think, I think, you know, we've, we've all got opinions on the era, but ultimately he commercialized the sport. Um, you know, yes, I'm not condoning what he did. Um, I just think we need to have a reality check, um, as to, like I say, he brought, he brought it mainstream. Yeah. Um, yeah. and like I say, um, I, I, I don't agree what he did to the Andreas. Um, he really did make their lives a misery. Um, but he, he, let's not paint um, this guy as the devil. It's uh, that he is not. He might have done a lot of wrong things, but he certainly did, in my eyes, a lot of right things for the sport. Um, the final word, Simon, on that is I was in a, a local bike store, a very large local bike store last week. And... I met briefly the two owners of that bike store and I would speculate they are both multimillionaires now. They wouldn't be millionaires without Lance Armstrong. That puts it in a nutshell, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yes. Which brings me to the end of the programme. Um, I'd like to say thank you very much for assisting me in this edition of Time to Ride. Um, it's been a long time coming. And it has, hasn't it? Once things have relaxed, as far as uh, COVID restrictions are concerned, I'm sure we'll have a coffee um, uh, and uh, enjoy some some more good banter. And who knows, we might find ourselves on the start line again somewhere. Never. How about never. a coffee at your new venture? I yeah. think it's time you plug that, don't you? Um, well, well, maybe in the notes at the end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's coming together. It's in the hands of solicitors, drawn up contracts. Ooh. Oh, okay. Oh, I know, and it stings you. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm having to hit the uh, the wallet before I've even got open. So, um, but it's coming together. Um, it could be big, Simon. Uh, lovely it could location. be big. We know that. Um, there's definitely a need for it. 
um, or there's certainly a marketplace for it. So um, if anybody's wondering what we're talking about, um, it's the spokesman, bespoke bicycle wheel building and repairs um, come to you very soon. So, yes, you've got more, you've teased it out of me. <laughs> Someone had to. Yes. Uh, but it's exciting. It's exciting. Um, and yeah, this will be all part of it. So thank you very much, Chris. You're welcome. Um, Enjoyed it. Brings us to a close. Thanks very much, mate. Enjoyed it. I'll See speak you to you very soon. Take care. All the best. Bye, Bye. mate. Bye. This episode of Time to Ride was brought to you by The Spokesman, Bespoke Bicycle Wheel Building and Repairs, Anything Technical Ski Equipment and Bigland Hall Caravan Park.